You know, this morning we have uh, sung from the cradle to the cross and back, um, which brought to my mind um, a passage out of Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2 that says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, for who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful man, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The reason why we sing from the cradle to the cross is because you cannot have a Savior on a cross without a baby in a manger. And the purpose for which Jesus came into this world was to erase and to eradicate something that had separated us from our Creator from the time of Adam and Eve's fall. And that was that dividing line. It was that sin, that chasm that separated sinful humanity from a very holy God. And once that dividing line has been removed, and it has, even the Apostle Paul spoke about this in the book of Ephesians, how not only did it remove the chasm between ourselves and God, but also ourselves and other people where there is racism and where there is all kinds of prejudice. And he said he came to remove it. And so in our relationship with Jesus, watch this, it is now so pure uh, who for the joy of our salvation set his face towards the cross that now it's no longer about me trying to earn God's love. It's no longer about me trying to perform before God so that somehow, some way, God is going to look at me as, you know, different from than he, the way he did before. It's all about relationship. All about relationship. And God wants a relationship with you. And he wants a relationship that's not built upon the foundation of your happiness, but on something that's far deeper than that, the foundation of your joy. There's a big difference between joy and happiness, as we talked about last week, and we'll get into that a little bit more this morning, because this, the series that I'm doing uh, through, for the uh, Christmas holiday is choosing joy. Why would we want to choose joy? And why is it that joy just isn't something that comes automatic to us? I mean, after all, is it not a fruit of the Spirit? Well, yes, it is a fruit of the Spirit, but just as with any fruit of the Spirit, that fruit must be developed. There, there are some things you must do in order to experience that fruit to its fullness. And when we come to the Christmas story, one of the things in Luke chapter 2, if you want to turn there, it's kind of our foundational passage for this entire series is when the angels came to the shepherds as they were, you know, out in the fields with their sheep that night. And, and so the angel says in verse 6, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks. The angel of the Lord appeared to them and said, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Good news of great joy. Uh, we speak of joy. We, we love to sing the, the um, Christmas hymn, Joy to the World, and, and you've probably heard it already on the radio, and maybe you have hummed that tune to yourself, and, and uh, we last week sang about it, and so it's something that we expect. It's something that we want to hear, and the closer we grow uh, towards eat, uh, Christmas and, and, and thinking about the birth of Jesus and why he came into the world, I want you to know that Christmas isn't about just bringing joy to the world. It is about bringing joy to your world. It is personal because it is relational. 
The foundation of joy is found in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, happiness is a wonderful thing, and God wants us to be happy. I mean, you're a parent, right? If you're a parent, you're a grandparent. What do you want for your children and grandchildren? You want them to be happy. I mean, one of the questions I always ask in premarital counseling, I have a questionnaire, and one of the questions is, what, what does your parents want for your life? And almost without exception, they just want me to be happy. But happiness is very elusive. Happiness can be here today and gone tomorrow, or maybe here today and gone in an hour from now. It doesn't mean that God doesn't want us to experience pleasure or happiness. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 17 that says that God has created all, everything for our enjoyment and for our pleasure. It's just that God doesn't want you to build on that foundation because it is not going to withstand uh, the test of time. And so our little tagline is, uh, you want to choose joy because happiness is never enough. It will never be enough if that's what you're chasing after in life. And sometimes we try to find our happiness through a, very, a variety of different ways. And, and let's just say, for example, relationally. Uh, you know, you are happy uh, when you are in, in relationship with somebody and everything's going well in that relationship. And sometimes in relationships like, like in school or in friendships, as long as people were speaking of you well, uh, you felt pretty happy and satisfied in the relationship that the minute they began criticizing you about something, now all of a sudden your happiness went out the window and you didn't view that relationship like you used to, right? Here's what I learned very early on is that if you, if you live for the praise of people, that is if the words they speak to you can cause your happiness to ebb and flow and move in and out, if you live for the praise of people, you will die by their criticisms, and so that's why happiness is so flimsy, and it's, it's just like all over. So I want us to go back to our definition of joy. I want to do a little contrast between happiness and joy so you have this kind of lodged in your mind. And today, really what I want to talk about are what are the habits that we need to make a part of our lives if we're going to experience and build our lives upon the foundation of joy rather than happiness. Because remember, uh, joy is a choice we discovered last week. And uh, joy is also a habit, as we're going to look at this week. So look on your outline. There's some words I want you to underline, to circle, uh, if you've not already done this before. What is joy? And I'm basing this out of Kay Warren's book, Choosing Joy. And as I shared last week, uh, she wrote this book in response to when their son, uh, who battled with mental illness for all of his life, uh, committed suicide. And so she was wondering, how, how am I going to navigate through this? Can I still experience the joy of the Lord? Can I live the joy of the Lord having, uh, you know, navigating our, our way through these troubled waters? So here was her definition. I love this definition because it incorporates a lot of different avenues. Joy is the settled assurance. You want to underline that. The settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life. Circle the word all. Underline settled assurance, circle all. So God is in control of how many details of your life? All. How many details of your life are you in control of? <laughs> uh, you're in control of a few, but very little, right? A lot less than you think you are, right? So in the quiet confidence, underline that, the quiet confidence that ultimately everything, circle that, everything is going to be all right. Why can I have the quiet confidence that everything is going to be all right? Here, this world is temporary, 
God didn't create you for the temporary. He created you for the eternal. And as a child of God in the kingdom of God, this world is passing away. God has created a new place for you called the new Jerusalem, the new heavens and the earth that will one day come. And when, when all of sin is eradicated from uh, the realm of our existence forever and ever, trust me, uh, you can have confidence that God, that everything is ultimately going to be all right and the determined choice to praise God in all things. Circle that word all and you want to underline the words determined choice. So if I'm going to choose to live joyfully, it is a determined choice that I must make and it is hinged on praising God for all things. Remember, there is a difference between praising God and thanking God, all right? We talked about last month growing in gratitude, how to become more grateful, which is kind of the flip side of joy because the two of them really go together. But joy is the foundation of all things, and I must choose, and the way I do it is, is through praising God for all things. Praising God is praising him what? For who he is, all right? It's for who he is. Thanking him is about what he has done. Now, this is so, so important because Whatever you think about when you think of God is the most important decision you'll ever make in your life. Because this definition of joy hinges on the fact that I need to have some basic convictions about God. See, if I view God as an angry judge who's just always looking to get me, when, you know, man, I make a mistake and boom, he's going to pound me. You know, he's just like going to make sure that something bad and negative happens in my life. If that's my view of God, that, that will greatly determine how I relate with him. Or if you think God is like an absent father who's just never going to be there when you need him or that you, you view God in some other way, whatever that is for you, if that's your view, which oftentimes is taken out of a relationship we have with our earthly fathers, is how we view God, how our relationship with friends and siblings is usually how we view Jesus and um, so th this can greatly distort my thought processes that keep me from relating to God as he wants me to relate. What did Jesus remove? Every single barrier. What does God want for you? He wants for you every good and pleasurable thing. God's not against you. God is for you. And he wants you to experience your birthright as a kingdom citizen as he is ruling and reigning over our lives and, and governing and directing our lives because I know that this settled assurance is my conviction about God is that God is good, that God is holy, that God is right, God is justice, that the, which says to me, listen, I don't have to render justice towards somebody who does me wrong. God is the ultimate vindicator. I'm just simply called as a kingdom follower of Jesus Christ to love them and forgive and to extend God's mercy to them just as God has extended it to me. My confidence is in God, right? My confidence is not in myself. It is in the Lord. Now, this becomes so, so important, especially when we're traveling through difficult times and we're encountering suffering in life and we're traveling through our own deep, dark valleys. How we view God will determine to a great extent as to whether or not I can experience the joy that God says that I can experience even in the midst of my most painful events in life. Or is it going to rob me of my joy? Am I going to lose my confidence in God? Am I going to change my conviction about God? Am I going to choose not to praise him because I don't think that he is praiseworthy because it's just not working out the way I, I want? 
So that's our definition that we're operating off of. So let me just uh, remind you a difference between joy and happiness. Uh, we often mistake happiness for joy. Let me give you a couple of things that's not on your outline. You may want to jot these down. But anyways, happiness is about cosmetics. Joy is about character, right? So after you get through the holiday season, and it might be that, you know, you step on the scale and you picked up a few extra pounds. I'm not saying this is going to happen to you, but it might. And so you're not real happy about that, right? It's like, oh, man, I tried to mind, you know, I tried not to eat that fourth piece of pecan pie with ice cream on it, but I'm so weak. Uh, yeah, so whatever it is for you, um, so cosmetically, or you look at yourself in the mirror and, oh, if I just had different eye color, if I just had a different nose, if I just had different hair, whatever it is for you cosmetically, our happiness ebbs and flows on those kinds of things, right? As a teenager, you get up and you look in the mirror and you have this, you know, let's say you're going out on a date and all of a sudden you look in the mirror and there's this big zit like right in the middle of your forehead and like, oh, why does that have to happen now? So I'm not happy about that. Joy, it goes deeper than that. It's about character. Joy is character which gives us the ability to face reality. And character is what you need most in life, way more than joy. Number two, happiness comes from the outside, circumstances around us. Joy comes within. It comes from within. You know, some of you are dreading Christmas uh, because of some of the people you have to deal with in your family, right? We all have an Eddie, uh, cousin Eddie, out of Christmas vacation, uh, <laughs> comes strolling up in the RV, you know, he's got his wife and two kids and his ugly dog, and, and uh, just, he's just a mess. Well, we all have our cousin Eddie, and if you don't think you have one, you are one. So uh, everybody around you knows it, but, you know, some people just dread, like, oh, man, I, I can't believe i got to spend time with this person. And so you're just dreading that, and it can, it can really rob you of your happiness over the holiday, right? You just stew about it, you fret about it, or the fact that you've got to, you know, you've got to fix a meal for so many people. You've got a lot of people coming into your house. Uh, um, like, we, you know, we've got family coming into our house for a week, and, and so it's like, oh, you know, it brings some, its own stress. I always like Jim Barnes. Jim Barnes, who many of you may not know, Jim Barnes was at this church as the interim pastor when you called me here and uh, stayed on staff for a while. Jim Barnes always said this about guests in your home. After, they're like fish. After three days, they begin to stink. You need to throw them out. So, well, joy, though, is based on what? It's not based on circumstances, who is at your house and who isn't. It's, it's ba it comes from within us. It is a fruit of the Spirit. Number three, happiness is temporary. Joy is eternal. Happiness is temporary. You know that happiness comes and goes, and, and uh, often multiple times throughout the day. And the reason why joy is eternal, because remember, joy is based upon a relationship, your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything about your life Good, bad, and ugly will flow out of that relationship, right? So if you want to live a life of joy, deep-seated joy, it will always, always, always come forth from that relationship that you have with Jesus Christ. The next one is happiness meets maybe our surface needs, but joy meets your deepest needs. And uh, many of you have had a surgery uh, 
from time to time, and uh, maybe you're on pain meds, right? So they put you, after the surgery, you're in a hospital bed, they give you a little button, and it's got some, uh, you know, good medicine in there so that when you're in extreme pain, you can push that button, it releases the medication and takes the pain away in your body. And so when the pain, how, how long does that last? Well, maybe an hour or two, and then you're pushing the button again, and maybe you're feeling more pain, you're pushing the button, you push it 100 times, but it's only going to dispense enough medicine uh, that's not going to OD you, right? So it's, it's preset um, by the nurse as to how much it will dispense and how often it will dispense. But it becomes, really, it becomes your happy button, right? It's my happy button. I love this stuff, man. It is some good medicine, right? Like, you don't care about anything. When they, when they tell you, you know, you've got a $50,000 bill to pay before you're like, I don't care, man. It's like, I'm not got some good stuff here. Isn't that the way we live our lives? We have our happy button. For some, it's eating. For some, it's shopping. For some, it's sleeping. For some, it's alcohol. For some, it's a drug. For some, it's something else. Whatever brings you that momentary shot of happiness. And even though you know that it's only temporary, it's not going to last for very long, you just keep hitting the button. Joy goes deeper than that. It goes to the depth of our being. Happiness is like a thermometer. It registers the condition around you. Joy is like a thermostat. It controls the temperature around you. How many of you have said this word, this phrase, well, I'm just not a happy camper? <laughs> you know why? Because you, you're the... Th You've become the thermometer. You're, you're, you're just resonating the conditions that are going on around you. Because what? Something didn't turn out the way you wanted it to. Something didn't go the way you wanted it to. So I'm, I'm not a happy camper. Joy, though, is the thermostat that takes note, regardless of what the situation is, is and raises the joy level in your life. For example, when James comes along and says, hey, consider it pure joy when you face a variety of trials in your life. Man, you ought to be joyful about that because God is producing something. So you want to make sure you persevere to the end because you don't want to miss what it is that God's going to do in your life if you persevere through that trial in your life. And we're thinking to ourselves, I don't want to persevere through anything. Man, Lord, you know, just zap me with it. You know, give me whatever it is I need. I, this is messing with my happiness. And so he, what James is talking about and what the Apostle Paul talks about all the time is, look, look, joy ought to be the thermometer. It ought to set the tone of the atmosphere around you so that you can be joyful even in the midst of your sorrow, even in the midst of your pain. When you go to the book of Psalms and you hear, you read the journal of David, and David is, you know, having enemies constantly fighting him and chasing after him and seeking his life. And even though the circumstances were horrendous, and even though he wasn't happy about it, he was joyful in the midst of it. But because by the time he's finished his journal, he's talking about his joy and his praise to God, that God is in the midst of all of this, and that God's going to work out everything, and his life is in God's hands, and that God's in control of all things, and he'll put his trust in his, his heavenly Father. And so now he just breaks out in praise. That's what joy is about. Happiness often evaporates and disappears in times of suffering. Joy frequently intensifies in times of suffering. Now, maybe you, uh, you know, know a follower of Christ, and uh, they, or at least they claim to be, and you know, you're just thinking, man, they're just not very joyful. 
You know, I remember when I first started going to church, and I'm a teenager, I don't know anything, and, you know, teenagers, we have a tendency to judge people anyways and just kind of look at people and just kind of, we, we make our evaluation of you based on, you know, how you talk and how you conduct yourself, and I used to think, man, these are some really sour people, uh, you know, that's like, where, where's the joy they keep talking about, especially when it came, now, my wife would know all about this, actually more than I do, um, okay, so I was... I attended First Baptist Church, Heath, Ohio, and that's where I was saved. And uh, when I first, when I experienced my first business meeting there, I'm like, "Who stole these people and, and dropped these like warmongers in the midst of us?" I mean, they were like going at it and just carrying on. Like, where's the joy? Where's the love? And so, <laughs> and where's the bearing of the fruit of the spirit? Where, how do we, how do we, how do we live this out? Let's not just talk about joy. Let's not just let it roll off our lips like, you know, that's a credible idea. It's a great thing. We ought to be that way. And I'm not saying that all of us, you know, get it right all the time because none of us get it right all the time. We're all, you know, messes in the process of being, you know, reconstructed by our Heavenly Father. But I find it interesting that when Jesus was teaching his followers about obedience one time, here's what he said is, he said, here's my goal for you. This is on your outline, John 15, 11. I've told you this so that you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. In other words, Jesus' goal is that we experience joy and that we experience it full on. Not like when we die and go to heaven, but right here on planet Earth. So that no matter what we are facing, no matter what we are encountering, we can experience the full-on force of God's joy in our lives because we are dwelt by the Holy Spirit and he is the author of our joy. It is our birthright as a child of God. And then Paul has the audacity to come along and say, hey, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord when? Always, right? There's that stupid word always again. That, that word's all and always. I am, like just trip me up. So for the Christ follower, God puts joy Watch this, in the non-optional category, it's a command. Now, I know that doesn't bear forth in the English translation of the Greek, but is in the imperative mode, which means it is a command. This is not an option. God never commands us of something that is not possible. God says you can experience joy as a birthright, and that's what I want you to experience Regardless of your circumstances, regardless of your situation, it's a learned skill. So how do we do that? Well, I think it's like anything else that's a learned skill. You've got to incorporate some habits in your life in order for you to develop that. So I'm going to give you four of them this morning. Here's what I know about habits. Habits take about 21 days to become ingrained in your life, right? So you need to push beyond that, but it takes at least that long. So here's what's going to happen. The reason why I warn you of this you're going to take these four things and say, okay, pastor, I'm going to give this a try. I'm just going to prove you wrong. It doesn't work. It's not going to work for me. And so you try it for a couple of weeks, and it doesn't work, and you're like, see, told you. Well, let me just get you to push on for three weeks, and let's just see if there is a little, more, a little higher joy quotient in your life than if you were not to make these habits in your life. Number one is this. You need to rejoice continually. Isn't that what Paul just said? Rejoice in the Lord. Always, again, I say rejoice, right? So 
We, in order to have joy on a daily basis, we have to learn what it means to live in the moment. Here's what the psalmist tells us in Psalm 118.24. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. I want you to underline, this is the day. Now, here's what I know about life. When things aren't going very well that day, what's your first thought? Man, I just can't wait to get through the day so I can start the next day. Because I believe that tomorrow is probably going to be better than today, right? Some of you think that. We all think that. Or we begin to reflect backwards. Man, I remember back in the good old days when it was like, and then we just, you know, our minds go back and think when, when times were so much more simple and my life was not so busy. And so then we reflect in the, back in the good old days. Uh, and so we try to live in the past or we try to live in the future. But all through the Bible, God challenges us to live in the moment of the day. Even Jesus in his teachings, when he talked about worry, you want to know why you worry? Because you borrow from tomorrow, right? What might happen, what could happen. And Jesus says, why are, you, why are you jumping into tomorrow? Stop worrying about tomorrow. You have no control over these things. You need to live in the moment today. How, how simple is that? So which day? <laughs> the day with all the shortcomings? The day with all the difficulties? The day with all the challenges? Can you maintain your joy in that day? You know, tomorrow's going to be better. I just know. I'll, I'll rejoice then. I, I hope things will be better. No, today, today, he says, whatever the conditions, because we have a tendency to live the if-when, right? Okay, I will rejoice if or when, you know, when I graduate, when I get that job, when I get that raise, when I get that promotion, when I get, you know, when I have kids, when I have a house, when I get a bigger house, when my kids move out of my house, uh, yeah, you get that one, right? So parents, every dream is to have children, and then it's like, oh, move them on, Lord, move them on. And then they come back, and they come back with children. So it's just, you know, cycle of life. But you kind of get the point. It's like you, you want to build this, you want to build your joy quote around the fact that I'm going to rejoice in this day. Regardless of my circumstances, I'm going to find a reason to be joyful. What's my definition? My definition is because I have this settled assurance that God is in control of all things and that God himself will ultimately is going to make everything all right. And so I'm making a determined choice to praise God in this moment. In other words, joy is available at all times, every day. But oftentimes, joy eludes us, and here's why. Because we tend to confuse happiness with joy, and we start chasing after things that are going to make us happy in that moment of that day, all right? So let's say, for example, um, I don't know, you have a really bad day, so it's just like a crummy day, and uh, so what's the first thing you do? Uh, maybe you, you call somebody. So, you know, it's just a, it's a lousy day. It's a, it's a bad day. I, I need to talk to somebody. And so they talk to you and, and uh, 
that doesn't help. So it helps a little bit. And they, maybe they give you a verse to read and a, a song to listen to, a podcast or whatever. And those things are all wonderful and well and fine. Uh, but you're, you're, you're really not looking for joy, deep-seated joy. You're really just kind of looking for happiness to make, well, how am I going to make this day a more happy day? And so if that doesn't, you know, that works for a little while and then it wears off. And you're like, oh, what, what else can I do? I know food, food and lots of chocolate. Chocolate, man, I need chocolate, as much chocolate as possible. And so we try that and that works for a little while and that wears off and you go to the next thing, you go to the next thing because you're trying to fill your, your life with happiness rather than joy and you're seeking it from what the Bible calls broken cisterns. Now, what is a cistern? Because that is not a word that we typically use, right? I turn on a faucet in my house like you do. We don't have to go out and, you know, dig a hole and, you know, have rainwater fill up the hole and try to get water out of there. So when the nation of Israel uh, has been brought out of Egyptian bondage and they're trying to follow the Lord, and, and so after a while, they kept turning to the gods of the other nations around them. And so God, through the prophet Jeremiah, just simply said, in essence, listen, I'm tired of you chasing false gods because I am your God. I am the one who wants to protect you and provide for you because I have a, a plan and a purpose for this nation. And so um, he says to the Israelites through Jeremiah, there are two sins that you have done. He says, you have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and you have dug, dug your own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Now, living water refers to running water of a, of a spring that never stops. It's the most dependable, most refreshing, most cool, most clear water available. Cisterns, in contrast, were large pits that were dug in order to collect rainwater, and that water was dirty, and, and the cisterns developed cracks, and the water was not dependable, and, and it was there today and maybe gone tomorrow because it was filtering out, and it, it could easily run out, and so the cisterns were undependable and often uh, you know, could not certainly do what a, a spring could do. And so what God was simply saying to Israel is, listen, I want to give you living water. I want to give you joy. I want to give you everything you're searching for. I, I want to quench your thirst, but you keep forsaking me and running to other things, looking for other things or people or events or circumstances to do for you what only I can do for you. Because you're, you're not on a joy quest, you're on a happiness quest. I want what's going to make me happy. And nothing has changed in, you know, in the years and years and decades and decades of human history. We're all on a happiness quest, right? We're not on a joy quest. We are by and large on a happiness quest. But what God wants to give us is joy. Who is it in the New Testament that said they were the springs of living waters? Jesus, right? Isn't that what he told the woman at the well? I am the spring of living water. In other words, you want to have joy in the midst of whatever it is that you find yourself in, whether it is a wonderful day, a, a horrendous day, or everything in between. I am the well that you need to drink from. Everything, the joy that you want to experience and need to experience flows out of this relationship that you have with me. And so um, here, let me just give you some ways that we chase after these broken cisterns. Number one is people, right? Whether, whether it's your wife, children, friends, people you, you maybe you serve with, uh, when they're happy, you're happy. 
When they're unhappy with you, you're unhappy with yourself, your joy level, uh, happiness level goes up and down based on how they perceive you or, or view you at that moment. I remember when I was in seminary, here's, here's what I know about every third-year seminary student, okay? Every third-year seminary student thinks they're going to graduate from seminary that year and go out and change the world. All, all of us. And then you get out in the world and you face reality. You know what you discover? Not everybody likes you. Not everybody thinks your message is all that great. Not even inside of the church. In fact, as a leader, and it doesn't matter if you're a leader of a church or a leader of a business, all leaders take criticism, right? So again, I learned the hard way that if, if my, my happiness level or my joy quotient is based upon how other people feel about me, I'm going to be the most miserable person in the world. I'm not going to last, so, you know, it's the same way like compliments. If, if you're always fishing for and asking for compliments from people. Somebody said to me, listen, compliments are like chewing bubble gum. You know, you, you want to you chew it a little while, get the flavor, and then spit it out. Because, you know, you swallow it, it's not good for you. Well, the same way, my, my point is this. There are a lot of people whose lives ebb and flow on the basis of what other people say about you, how they feel about you. You know, you, let's say you work very hard on something, maybe as a craft project that, man, you just pour your heart into, and then you bring it, and, and let's say it's a Christmas thing, and you bring it, you say, man, look what I made for Christmas. And somebody says, man, that is beautiful. That's the most gorgeous thing I've ever seen. You, could you make me one of those? And then you take it to somebody else, and they look at it and go, eh, yeah, I don't like it. But, you know, hey, if, it's a, if that's what you like, okay. What's that do to you, right? It, it crushes you, right? Because we are on a happiness quest, not a, a joy quest. So if our happiness and joy is tied to the expectations that you have placed upon people in your life, uh, you're going to be drinking from a broken cistern. You need to drink from one relationship and one relationship only from that of Jesus Christ. He is the living water so that when somebody does criticize you, when somebody does put you down or somebody does say something uh, about you, it's like it doesn't upset your entire world. You may be hurt initially, but you know how to get over and move on. Uh, perhaps it's your husband, right? Your first expectation is that when you talk to him, he's going to listen to you. Ladies, right? Am I right? You think that when you talk to your husbands, he's going to listen to you. And not only is he going to listen to you, he's going to actually understand what you told him without your further explanation about what you actually told him. And so now you have this expectation. When he falls below that expectation, now you're disappointed. You're disappointed. You get hurt. You get angry. And you're just like, you know, you're really, you're just miffed with him, right? So if you say, honey, uh, could you please take out the trash? Now, what you really meant was, will you take out the trash now? Because I need it out uh, now. What he interpreted that to mean is sometime today. Because you didn't explain to him that you meant now, but you expected him to know that you meant now without actually saying now. And so when he interpreted it as being sometime today, now you're mad at him because he didn't understand what you were saying even though you didn't say. You, you get the communication problem? Yeah, so we lose what? Happiness. We, we lose joy. And over time, the joy of the relationship can diminish. Number two is places. Right? How often do you find yourself dreaming about the next place you're going to live? And, and the problem is that you, know, you move into the new house or you go to that destination, that vacation destination or whatever. It, it, again, it's temporary. It's short-lived. 
And we're, isn't it incredible how we're satisfied with things until we, we go somewhere where it's bigger and better? Now all of a sudden we're dissatisfied, right? Or possessions. That's another broken well that we drink from. We're tr- constantly trying to you know, fill our lives with things and possessions and thinking that that's going to be do it for us. And then we become jealous and envious of those who have, you know, again, bigger and better. Maybe it's a position. Maybe it's, maybe it's you know, I've worked hard all my life for this position and it didn't come for me. It, it was given to somebody else or somebody else is making more money. Maybe it's your personality. We all have the different personality, right? So some of you, every personality has strengths and weaknesses, and sometimes we think, you know what, God, if I just had a different personality, I would be a more joyful person. Because some of you are like cholerics, like you're the lions of the world, and, and so that means is that you're goal-oriented, you're task-oriented, and you just want to get things done, and you want to get it done now, and you want to get it done the way you want it. Well, what happens if you're married to an otter? I would say like an otter or a sanguines, and otters are just parties waiting to happen, okay? They, they, they don't care about the task. They just want to know if it's fun, all right? If, if I'm going to do something, it's got to be fun, right? So otters, you know, they're the people who come into the room, and they just kind of suck the air out of the room because they have big personalities, and, and they just, you know, go from one person to the another. Hey, how you doing? And they tell you all their stories in very minute details, and uh, they think everybody's their friend, even though they couldn't tell you your name, but you're, you're their best friend. And so we all need otters in our lives because sometimes we need people to just kind of build us up, uh, you know, and, and an otter, if, they, if you make a lunch appointment with them and, and they forget and you call them up and say, hey, I'm here, I'm here, where are you? Now, you might be really, really mad at somebody else, but an otter, when they get there, you don't come because they're so fun loving. It's just like, okay, it was worth the wait. Uh, you know, that's just the way it is. Or some of you are golden retrievers. You're very creative. You're very intense. You find uh, things, um, you know, you're, you're really deep about things. You have very few friends, but what friends you do have are very, very deep in relationship. You're loyal to the end unless somebody hurts you incredibly hard. And you tend to, though, carry pain and sorrow of the world on your shoulders and some of you are like beavers. You're the perfectionist. You don't get worked up about much of anything. Yeah, I mean, you're emotional. You're not on an emotional roller coaster. You're just kind of like the steady eddies. But, but you can't make a stinking decision to save your life because, you know, even if it's something like buying a car, you've got to look up, you know, all the manufacturer reports and you've got to look up all the, you know, what are people saying about this before you can ever make a decision. Now, when you take all four of those personality types and you put them, wrap them up in a family, you've got chaos, right? You put those four personality types in a meeting together, you have chaos. The lions are sitting there thinking, come on, man, let's go. Let's move on with this. Let's just get going here. And the otters are sitting there thinking, well, let's just talk a little while. Let's get to know each other and let's just, you know, talk about things. And then the lions are just like, come on, we got, we got to do, we got to go. We got to, and the golden retrievers, you know, now they're getting their feelings hurt because, you know, they, they, they wanted to say something. But they don't feel like they can say anything because, you know, you're, you're so task oriented and the, the beavers, they, they don't say anything. In fact, if you were to ask them to make a choice, they'll decide, I don't know. I haven't had time to research that. So here's my point, is that broken cisterns that we drink from can be people, places, possessions, even our personalities, when really Jesus, Jesus wants to be at so at the center of our lives that we're constantly drawing from that well so that when you're dealing with people and possessions and places and personalities, you can do so in joy 
because that's the well that you're drawing from. Here's number two is you want to relate. You want to relate intentionally, first of all, within yourself, right? You should be a priority to you. You need to nourish your body, your soul, and your spirit. It doesn't mean decluttering your closet, all right, and getting rid of all the junk. Uh, it means to focus on yourself physically, emotionally, and spiritually. One of the reasons why a lot of God's people, this is just very practical stuff. We don't experience a higher quotient of joy in our lives. It's just because we are so physically exhausted. And, and listen, we can barely get out of bed in the morning, right? Or you've not taken care of yourself physically. And you know as well as I do, as you age and as you get older and as you experience health issues, it plays with your mind, right? It's not just a physical thing. It plays with your mind and it plays with your emotions. And so, um, you know, when it comes physically, you have to make wise choices. You need to make wise choices just about the food that you eat, right? Do you know that fast food and processed food, we know scientifically it leads to all kinds of health issues like high blood pressure, high cholesterol, heart disease, diabetes, all those things. So nobody can control what you put in your mouth but you. I'm just saying that if you eat poorly, you often, you're, you're, it affects your mind, it affects your emotions, it will affect how you interact and relate with God and others. You know, 30 minutes a day, just do something exercise-wise. I don't care if it's just walking around the block, because every time you exercise your body physically, the natural chemical, chemical dopamine, your brain produces, which is the feel-good drug, let that be your happy button. Right, so if, if I'm not doing anything, and I know that as you get older, you have more limitations. I get that. I understand that. But I'm saying, it, you know, if you start early, if you start young, and you start taking care of yourself, it's amazing how much of a better outlook you're going to have concerning your walk and your relationship with God and how that's going to enhance your joy quotient in life. Emotionally, all of us have been wounded by family, by friends, by coworkers, uh, it may be that those wound, that woundedness came intentionally. Maybe it was unintentionally. The fact of the matter is, there's not a single person sitting in this auditorium who has not been deeply wounded by somebody. You need to do whatever it takes to get help and emotional healing. All right. One of the reasons we have a prayer team here on Wednesday nights from seven to eight thirty, we want to help people get their woundedness healed. So it, whether it's that, you start there, you move to a professional counselor, I don't care, whatever it takes for you, you need to get yourself cleaned up emotionally because as long as you're carrying around all that toxicity in your body of hurt and anger and bitterness and unforgiveness, you, you, are, you are squelching, you are robbing yourself of the joy of the Lord that he wants you to experience. Jesus says, come to the living water. I can bring healing in your emotional life. You need to seek that out. Number three is your, is your, um, your spiritual life. What about your spiritual life? Do you know that you are as close to God as you want to be? You hear me? You are as close to God as you want to be. It's about relationship. And God wants that relationship to go deep, but you're the one who has control over that. The Bible is clear that God has not lost any of his love or passion for you. 
And somewhere in your walk, maybe you have allowed distance to occur and you no longer feel close to him. Listen, no one can determine how much time or how you're going to spend the day with the Lord but you. But you need to grab hold of the reins and make the decision of surrender, that you're going to spend time drinking from this well. Look, if you're trying to live in relationship with God and you're not drinking from the well, there's not much he can do for you. He's saying, listen, I've provided everything that you need to have joy in every circumstance. And, uh, you, but it's going to come out of this relationship with Jesus, but you're going to have to drink from this well. And as you learn to drink from the well and as you learn to grow in that relationship and to go deeper and deeper in that relationship, it's amazing how God, is through the transformation process, is going to up the ante of your joy quote. And here's what ultimately happens, and that is, all right, you want to relate intentionally within yourself so that you can relate intentionally with people, other people. You can become their joy mentor. There are certain people that I know that are so full of joy, and when you find people like that, you love to be around them. And so one of the reasons I love to be around them is because I want to ask questions. I want to know how they got there. I want to know how they sustain that. And it's, it's not because their life has always been perfect. Far from it. Some of the people I know with the greatest amount of joy, with the greatest attractiveness of joy, have gone through the most deep and difficult and horrendous you know, circumstances in life, far beyond what I've ever experienced personally. And yet they're just joyful. And, and I, I, I want to find out how, that, how did that happen. And so I'm talking about a person who what? Who has, go back to our, our definition, who has developed a deep, settled assurance about God's goodness, who believes that ultimately everything will be all right, and who repeatedly demonstrates a willingness to praise God in all things. My wife and I have some very dear friends. Um, man, they have, they have been such a blessing to us. And uh, his wife has pancreatic cancer. And it's in the stage that it's advanced beyond any kind of surgery or chemo or anything. In other words, if God doesn't heal her, it'll take her out of this world. But it has not in one shape or form robbed her of her joy. They're just people you want to be around. They're just people that you can absorb joy. They are like joy mentors. They're just like, they just ooze it. And you just want to know, how, how, do you, how do you do that? Listen, we all know people who are just the opposite, right? Who they're joy suckers, right? They just suck the life out of you. And so I, I, I want to learn how to be so full of the joy of the Lord that I can be a joy mentor. That somebody would look at me as I look at this couple, my wife and I look at this couple as they have so, so ministered to us Number three, celebrate strategically. You know that God has built into our daily routine three opportunities to give thanks, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. That's just a starting point, right? Celebrate strategically. You ever wondered why God gave Israel so many feasts and celebrations and all those things? Because it was a time for them to celebrate what God had done, what God is doing, how God has blessed them. I'm just simply saying you need to look for ways to celebrate strategically what God has done. And I'll just give you a quick example, and we'll wrap this up. So, like, um, Friday, Thursday, I got a phone call, and, you know, Thursday's the day I write. I, I write my messages or I, I, other things I'm working on. 
And so somebody calls me, a friend, and he says, hey, man, my hot water tank's gone out. Could you come today and, and fix it? I said, dude, I, I, there ain't no way I can do that today. I said, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll be there tomorrow morning. You get the thing drained and get a new tank over there, and I'll come by and I'll put it in for you. And so, uh, you know, I did that, and I'm feeling pretty good. She's like, you know, I've done something for somebody. I've helped some, a friend out. And, and uh, then, you know, Saturday was set aside for me to help get carpet installed in my daughter's house and the upstairs, and my brother-in-law's coming because he's carpet layer, and I'm like, so I'm going to help him and install carpet, and so I'm waiting and waiting. I get up, you know, I get home Friday, and I get my garage cleaned out. That was the other thing. I had to clean out my garage, so I get my car in the garage. I'm tired of scraping my windows, so that took all afternoon. So, you know, I'm exhausted. I get up, and then Saturday morning, I got this facing me, so I go to my daughter's house. I'm waiting, waiting, waiting. My brother-in-law does not show up. And so I call my sister. I said, dude, where is he? And she said, I don't know. Here's his phone number. I call. I get his, an- you know, it's just his answering. And so my sister calls back and says, hey, he's really, really sick. And I think his brother's going to be taking him to the emergency room. He can't be there. I'm thinking, oh, great. Well, if that weren't bad enough, my wife gets up and I hear yelling from the bathroom, there's no hot water. There's no hot water. Now my tank is out. <laughs> yeah, so I got that on Saturday. And so I'm down there in the basement, you know, so, I, so after I left my daughter's house, I went by Home Depot, I have electric hot water tanks, I have heating elements in, so I picked up some elements, I went home, and I'm like, oh, gosh, I really don't want to do this. Um, and I'm sitting down there, and I'm waiting for the tank to drain, and I'm just thinking about this, and I'm thinking, you know, why is it whenever I preach on something, like, you know, you just get attacked in that area of your life, God, where's the joy in this, where's the joy in this, where's the joy in this, and it's like the Holy Spirit, hey, say, hey, 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 hey. Who gave you the ability to do this? And now you don't have to wait for a plumber. He's going to come on Monday, and you're not going to pay him X number of dollars to get it done. I gifted you with the ability to do this. Find joy in that. And then begin to remind me of a few other things. Then Marla and I, you know, that evening after the day was finally gone because we had a grandson that day, and he was home, and everybody was gone. And we're like, whew, you know, the day's over. And it's like we just start talking about things we're joyful about that day that God had blessed us with. Celebrate strategically. Here's the last one. You've got to think differently. You've got to think differently. Your th- change your thoughts, you change your life, right? Our thinking is so deeply entrenched by the time we enter into the second de- decade of adulthood, we don't change much after that. Now, we may change jobs and churches and marriages and a lot of other things, And so we are shocked to find that we keep doing the same things we kept doing that we knew wasn't giving us what we were looking for in the beginning with because we keep thinking the same thoughts that lead to the same actions in life. So the bottom line is if you're going to change your life, you've got to change the way that you think. And and so that's why James says, you know, consider pure joy, my brothers, when various trials come against you. You know, psychologists tell us that we're always between the thing that happened to us and our response to what has happened. And in between what has happened and our response to what has happened is we make interpretations about what has happened. And those interpretations are based upon our preconceived beliefs and notions, which may be way off base. And so oftentimes we interpret things as, you know, for example, well, the reason why this is happening is because God doesn't love me, God doesn't care about me, God's trying to get back at me, which filters back to what? My belief system about God, which I said at the very beginning is one of the most important decisions that you make in life. Because look at our definition of joy. It's based upon my convictions of God. What do I believe about him? 
And so we can always find joy in what God is doing, even through the painful events in life. So I, I close with this illustration, and I don't think Dawn is here today, but uh, Dawn Atkins, a member here, she had an experience at a, at a Dollar General store. She put this on Facebook, so it was public knowledge. So I'm going to share you with her, what God showed her about joy in the midst of her situation. And um, here's what she says. I was in the Dollar Tree last night, and there was a lady that had two, in a long line, there's two, a lady with two children that were behind me, one an older son, one a smaller child. And uh, the bigger one had a pack of, uh, these are glow necklaces, right? So I don't know if you've ever seen one of these or not. Kids love these things because uh, you, you can utilize them and, and make them glow in the dark. So, you know, the, the older brother has the package of the glow sticks, and the younger brother wants one. Well, you know how older brothers are, right? Uh, yeah, okay, here, you can, yeah, here, yeah. right? You're taunting them. So finally, the mom gets into the situation and says, hey, give it. So, you know, he, he hands him one. And so now, all of a sudden, the, the, the younger son is, is all happy. I mean, he, he just, you know, it's all elated that the fact that he, is, he has this uh, glow stick. And so, um, yeah, so as they're walking, you know, out, out of the store, he's happy, you know, and because he's got one of these things. And then all of a sudden, his older brother rips it out of his hand. And so he starts screaming again, obviously, because he just took it out of his hand. And his brother took it, and he broke it, like he twisted it, and he did this because now all of a sudden, this is what actually makes them glow. But his younger brother didn't know that. And so the older brother said to his younger brother, as he gave it back to him, he said, and this is what Don said, um, I had to break it in order for you to experience it to its fullness, to what it was created to be and do. And God spoke to her and said, that's exactly what I do with you. There are some times that I have to take something and kind of break it so that you can experience me in the fullness for which I have designed this relationship. Now I'm paraphrasing her a little bit, but you kind of get the gist of the story. Sometimes God breaks us through a breakup. Sometimes God breaks us and uses the moment of the time, whatever that trial might be. It's not because God sent the trial necessarily just to make your life miserable. He just takes the natural flow of life's miseries and in his hands, he breaks it. He shakes us because he's creating us to live in the fullness for which he has designed us. And if you want to maintain joy in the process of brokenness, you got to think differently. You got to draw from the well of your relationship with Jesus Christ and let the Holy Spirit of God begin changing the way you think because the way you think affects the way you feel, which affects the way you act. And if you want to change your actions, you all start right here. Let's bow our heads together. Father, we thank you. We are so grateful for who you are, for what you do, for the way that you interact with us. We thank you for relationship, Father. We thank you for relationship. And I pray this morning, Lord, um, that as we 
begin to develop some new habits in our lives that are going to enable us to experience true joy so that our lives are more governed and controlled and and there's just a deep um, yearning and a deep living out of this relationship you have for us now through your son Jesus. That Father, you will fill us with hope, with joy, with peace as we put our trust in you and you alone. that we have settled this assurance that, God, you are in control of all things. Every detail of our life is important to you. So much so that you said that the hairs on our head have been numbered. And so as we trust in you, we put our, our confidence in you because we know that in you, everything is ultimately going to be all right so that you may overflow in us your hope by the power of your Holy Spirit that we, we may be able to rise up in a determined choice of our lives to praise you in all things, not just in the good things, not just in the things that make us happy, not just in the things that we think that we want, but God, in all things, that we would be joyful people. Father, I'm always confronted with, with your word when it comes to this, when the early church, though they were being persecuted, man, they had joy, and their joy led to boldness and confidence in you, and that's what they prayed for, not to escape their persecution, but to have greater boldness in sharing their message, the message that we have of Christmas, that there is a Savior who invaded this world so that he might withdraw and would remove every barrier that stands between us and you, our creator, that we might be in relationship with you, a love relationship, one that you are passionate about, that you would somehow, Father, just help us to understand the, the width and the height and the depth of your love for us. I pray this for every person, that, God, they would never question your love for them, your love is immovable. That they would hope in you and trust in you in all things. God, I pray that you will increase our joy quotient. That you would increase this fruit of the Spirit within us so much so that that fruit that we bear, the, the fruit of joy, that we could become a joy mentor for somebody else because we know that that's what fruit is meant for. It's not just meant for us. It's meant for others to consume. As we walk with you and we deepen that walk, God, that's my prayer for my life for every person here as a follower of Jesus Christ. So may living water now flow. Holy Spirit, may it, may it flow. May it flood us. May we drink from that well here this morning. As we, as we close out our time together and as we just, as a church family, and we just, we just stand and we praise you and we exalt you, I pray, Lord, that these will be more than words, but it will be living water flowing from heaven down to earth, that you will consume our hearts, that you will mold and fashion our minds into the image of your son, Jesus that we would have the mind of Christ, 
and the character of Christ, that we might live the life of Christ. So we come and we pray, Holy Spirit, that you come as we position ourselves in a place of absolute surrender before you. I pray for those who who need Jesus in their life, who need to be saved this morning, to invite Christ to be their Savior and their Lord. I pray for those who need emotional healing, that, Lord, they would take a step forward in that, that encounter with you. For those who need to have their minds just absolutely ratified because the enemy has set up so many strongholds and they've just never taken those thoughts obedient to Christ, that God today might be a day that they take just one small step towards dismantling those strongholds. Lord, we pray for healing. We pray for salvation. We pray for deliverance. We pray for the fullness of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together as our team leads us. And uh, this is a praise offering to our Heavenly Father. And if you're here this morning, you'd like to talk about a relationship with Christ, I'll be here at the front now after the service. Maybe you just want to take a step towards healing. Let me encourage you. Man, just come and just pray. Um, just, just lay it on the altar uh, before you leave because I know what's going to happen. The minute you hit the parking lot, that your enemy, the evil one, he's going to steal that seed from you. And you're going to forget about it, and you're going to move on, and it's not going to happen. For some of you, you need to take your connection card and sign up and say, you know what, I need to be here on, on Wednesday night. Could you guys pray over me? Could you pray for me or, or even go deeper than that? This is our offering to the Lord. This is God pouring out his, his spirit upon us in his fullness. So let's just absorb it. Let's praise our Heavenly Father, and let's honor him with the worship of our lips.